0: Welcome to Lightcast with Stephanie Gast, a podcast where we cast light on mental health, sexuality, and other human experiences we keep in the dark. I'm your host, Stephanie, registered Associate Marriage and Family Therapist on the road to licensure. Disclaimer, this podcast, including any references and resources, are for informational purposes only. Anything said should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. My podcast may cover sensitive topics, including but not limited to abuse, suicide, violence, mental illness, sex, drugs, and alcohol. Your discretion is advised. So wait, it's not called multiple personality disorder? Yep, that's right. On this episode of The Lightcast with Stephanie Gass, we're going to be shining light on the spectrum of dissociation. So, what does that mean? Well, dissociation is often a misunderstood phenomenon that often looks like zoning out, spacing out, daydreaming. And today's episode, we're going to be looking at the entire spectrum of dissociation, from the common highway hypnosis all the way to the misconceptions around dissociative identity disorder, previously referred to as multiple personality disorder. So what is dissociation? Dissociation really is just the separation or the state of being disconnected. And dissociation is just like a really fancy word that oftentimes I think um, is uh, really intimidating and sounds like a, like a very science term. Um, I know I was talking to my partner before this and we were talking about how you break down such a complex like term for, for people who aren't in the field of psychology. And so that's kind of what I was hoping to do for this episode is really bringing some awareness to what dissociation is and kind of normalizing it for folks because it's a lot more common than people think. And so... I guess we can just get started and kind of talking about what it is and where it comes from, what it feels like, and kind of going through that whole spectrum of the lower end of dissociation into when it becomes a little bit more distressful. So there's a few ways dissociation can feel to some people. And so two of those ways that it can kind of look like, One way is uh, referred to as depersonalization, and when someone feels depersonalized, it feels like they can't recognize themselves in the mirror. Um, There's this state of not being connected to themselves, maybe not recognizing their hands as their own, Um, that kind of feeling, which is very unsettling, right? Um, If you imagine looking at yourself in the mirror, not recognizing who you see or um, that's, a, that's a very unsettling feeling, right? And then we also see it manifest in derealization. And derealization looks a little bit more like um, the world feels like it's in a fog. Uh, the world doesn't feel real uh, to the person. Maybe it feels like um, they're watching it from third person, like they're watching a movie or playing a video game. And once again, like this feeling of not being connected to your reality or to yourself can be really, really uncomfortable. If you don't deal with this yourself, um, I might maybe it's hard to imagine. Um, I know I've dealt with it myself um, and learning more and more about it every day um, because it is a lot more common than people think. And where dissociation really comes from is... It's basically your brain's way of coping, um, coping with intense stress um, in times of intensity. And your brain is trying to cope with that by disconnecting you from it. So everybody's different, right? Everybody's brain is different and everybody goes through different sets of experiences in their life. And depending on those factors in your life, some people can better handle some stress. Some people may be more sensitive to the effects of stress. And then, of course, that all depends on what that source of that stress is. For some people, they experience traumatic things in their life, and it causes them to have to have more intense survival coping skills like dissociation. And so that's kind of what we're going to... That's kind of more on the end of that multiple personality disorder, which is no longer what it's called. Now it's called dissociative identity identity disorder. Yeah, that's a mouthful to say. And we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. Um, But at first I want to talk about just the aspect of dissociation that you probably do yourself and you don't even realize it. So we often, if you do hear about dissociation or Um, thinking of people who are disconnected from themselves you think of somebody who's crazy or psychotic or something like that if you feel like they have different personality states or they go somewhere and they have blocks of amnesia and they can't remember where then where they got a to b um, that can seem like that is a really serious problem Um, but if you normalize it and break it down a little bit you can see that people often dissociate in their normal day to day life. So for example, um, have you ever zoned out when your eyes kind of lost focus when you're at your computer reading a book, when you're maybe just a little bit more tired that day? Maybe it was a little bit relaxing for your eyes to just zone out for like a quick second, right? But then you kind of brought awareness to the fact that maybe your eyes weren't in focus, and then that you were getting tired. And so then you kind of brought yourself back to whatever you were doing that's a level of dissociation right there for that split second just your mind separating itself enough to just zone out into space just for a moment that's a level of dissociation um as well as daydreaming when you're in class or you're at work having a boring day um, escaping into a daydream where you're thinking about something that happened the day before, or you're thinking about something maybe that could come up in the future. This daydreaming is like a form of escape for your mind when you're not wanting to be where you are, right? If your mind's somewhere else, right? It doesn't want to it doesn't want to be where it's at. Maybe you're stressed at work, maybe the class you're in is really boring. Right. So so that's like a little bit of where dissociation happens a lot more commonly than people think. It happens, um, you know, to a lot more of the population um, and they don't probably realize that what it is is a level of dissociation on, on some level, as well as have you ever heard of highway hypnosis? Highway hypnosis is that phenomenon when you're driving in your car and somehow you got to the store you got back home and you didn't even like realize that you had stopped at all the stop signs or you made all the turns you made and it's kind of a weird feeling of like whoa i was just driving this vehicle from a to b and i didn't really feel like i was present for that whole entire drive but somehow i got from a to b and so that that phenomenon is called highway hypnosis and Again, that's a level of dissociation when your body basically takes over and it's like, for example, you're tired, you're driving home from work and you're driving back home. Your brain knows its way home, right? That's like a familiar, that's a familiar path. that's a familiar uh, route home. Maybe you take it every day, maybe you take it every other day, right? It's really familiar. So your brain maybe thinks, hey, hey, brain, you're really tired and stressed from work today. How about you take a back seat? This body knows how to get to the house. So your brain will kind of take a step back, zone out a little bit on your drive, and your automatic just reflexes of knowing when to turn, what what direction you're going of just your typical drive will take over. And so that's like a level of your body and your mind trying to protect yourself when you're feeling really stressed, you're feeling tired, and it helps your brain take a little bit of a breather, a little bit of a break. Um, Yeah, so I'm not sure if any of you have ever um, experienced that. be interested um, to see how many of you are resonating with this. Um, I'm finding a lot more clients of mine are coming in and talking about these feelings of dissociation or depersonalization or derealization. And of course, naturally, um, finding it very, very uncomfortable, um, almost itself anxiety uh, provoking. And so that's really kind of what inspired this episode today is um, for all those people that um, are coming in and and starting to, you know, realize that this is something that they deal with um, and not realizing that there's a name for it. Um, And sometimes when you have a name for something, it can be a lot less scary to tackle it especially when it comes to something where it feels like you aren't in touch with yourself or you're not in touch with your world or your reality or the people around you, Um, that can be really frightening. Um, And so now like we're moving into kind of like higher up on that spectrum. So we kind of talked about that lower level, right? Lower level of the spectrum of dissociation. That's a lot more common that doesn't cause like severe distress. Um, uh, Maybe you have a little bit of gaps of memory from like your your highway hypnosis drive, but other than that, like your memory is fine. And maybe that's people who haven't experienced much intense trauma uh, or pain in, in their life. When you start moving up the spectrum, you're probably seeing Dissociation and how it how it manifests um, coming out mostly due to like a secondary symptom from probably post-traumatic stress disorder, um, a mood disorder like depression, or um, maybe somebody suffering from anxiety. So those folks who maybe have dealt with something more traumatic or they're going through a lot of stress more than the average human dissociation or depersonalization, derealization can often come about because of that original issue that they're dealing with. It can be kind of like a secondary symptom. When I know for myself, when I'm going through an intense emotion, uh, that dissociation really helps to take yourself away from it. It's a very a protective mechanism. And that's where I think there's some of the most like profound research on this um, out there. That when you look at people who experience the higher level, oops, excuse me, higher levels of dissociation, like getting into you're getting into like having huge gapses, gaps, gaps, <laughs> gaps isn't a word, gaps of amnesia. So maybe we're not forming different personality states yet, but maybe you're somebody who's dealing with severe anxiety, but you have these gaps of amnesia in your day because there's so much dissociation happening. And that is very, very scary if you haven't experienced it yourself. And so for people who are already under such a level of stress in their mind, but that symptom of it. Which is supposed to be a protective mechanism to help you disconnect from whatever you're dealing with, can often end up putting you in a cycle because itself it's really uncomfortable and kind of scary when you start to focus on it or when you when it when you finally notice it. Um, so some people will dissociate and it doesn't really doesn't really um, have focus. Maybe they'll, they'll snap back into their awareness, and maybe it isn't distressing to them, like the people who maybe daydream, right? But if you're somebody who, you know, when they're alone all day, they start to freak out at the idea of, who am I? Who am I? Whose hands are these? maybe they're talking to a familiar family or friend and they're looking at them and they're wondering do i recognize you do i recognize this person are they really standing there in front of me is this the world i'm really living in am i here right now having thoughts like that can be really really unsettling and these these folks you know when we're starting to go into the higher end of it Most likely have experienced some intense trauma or um, some intense stress in their life. If it's starting to become more of a distressing thing for them, if it's becoming more of I can't control my daydreaming and zoning out, it's actually becoming a problem, and and that's when it becomes a little bit you know obviously distressful. If it's starting to get in the way of your daily living, your daily life and and just how you're feeling um, living in, living day to day. And so, so I got into the world of like understanding more about dissociation, obviously not just because the whole idea of, you know, the idea of multiple personality disorder when that is first what it was called. It sounds really interesting, you know, especially for somebody who's fascinated by the field of human psychology and the mind. Um, That phenomenon is really, really fascinating. Um, And so when I was in grad school, um, actually, in my master's program, when we were in our diagnosis class, when we would go through the diagnostic manual um, and learn and memorize all the diagnoses in there, and we had a class assignment, which was to um, pick a disorder that you're not really that familiar with and do some research on it. Do research about the population, the people that are impacted by this disorder. Learn what causes it. Learn what what influences it, um, and so on and so forth. So, for my assignment, I chose to pick dissociative identity disorder, and so that is what was used to call used to be called multiple personality disorder, and this is when I think I got a lot more knowledge and understanding about this whole phenomenon of dissociation and got really passionate about it. And it's been actually very exciting to have attracted a lot of clients who are actually struggling with this, um, this exact phenomenon. And um, interestingly enough, I haven't mentioned it once in any of my um, website or on my Instagram posts. So um, that's why I wanted to start talking about it. Since um, I seem to be attracting that, I want people to know that I do understand. And uh, let's start a conversation about it, right? So that's what we're doing. We're starting a conversation about it, so that it can just be a little less taboo um, and a little less, um, you know, people giving you the the crazy side eye when when you're talking about dissociation happening. So the biggest thing that I learned and took from that assignment was how dissociative identity disorder specifically, um, how that comes about. And what I learned was that it's upwards towards 90 to 95% of the people who have dissociative identity disorder have experienced some kind of emotional physical sexual childhood abuse or trauma so like let that number sink in for a sec because that number was pretty outstanding when i first read it that 90 to 95 percent um of people with that disorder You know, it comes from them experiencing some really intense childhood trauma and abuse. And, you know, it's in the world of psychology and research and things like that, we're very much taught to never say 100% on anything, right? Like, it's never like, affinitive that this caused this, that A caused B. Um, we there might be a strong correlation, right? So there's 90 to, 95, 90 to 95%, that's a very, very high correlation. And, you know, I don't want to say that it's the cause, but it's, it's very clear that there is a link there between childhood abuse and trauma with dissociative identity disorder. So trauma is a big link here. And Like I explained before, that's because dissociation is really your brain's way of coping in in an intense, stressful, or traumatic experience. So if you're a child who's enduring emotional, physical, sexual abuse from anybody around you, whether that's a stranger or that is family, which is even worse sometimes, um, and for some folks, it even means ritual abuse over their, the course of their childhood. Or um, there's awful groups out there that also put this on people. So sadly, this is something that happens and it occurs to people. And this is, this is one of the way that trauma manifests is becoming dissociative identity disorder. So, I mean, if you can imagine having gone through something and endured something that that painful and traumatic, I mean, could you stay within your own psyche for your whole life? <laughs> I mean, I know that if I think about it, if I was a child who endured ritual abuse from, let's say, a family member, I would definitely want my psyche to break off in different parts and not sit with that. Um, and sit with myself and acknowledging that, that's really painful to sit with. And so um, there's definitely that that correlation there between the trauma and the dissociation. And, and so dissociation, when it comes to um, within dissociative identity disorder, what that looks like. So when they thought it was multiple personalities, it looked that way because what is now referred to as alters, these different personality states. Um, when they, when people saw someone having different personality states, it assumed there was just multiple personalities. So that's where that name came from. But after more research, more understanding, they've learned that it's it's not so much there's multiple people or m- multiple personalities that are being created it's more of these fragmented segments of your own personality that have transpired into these different states of being and so although they are fragmented senses of self that have coped in different manners it doesn't mean that they all look or talk the same or um, that are all the same gender as the person or the same, um, um, even species. There are some alters and some personality states in which people are animals. So it's not necessarily that all of these are just versions of themselves. They're versions of other things that help them carry the, carry the trauma, if that makes sense. Um, so that's, (laughs) yeah, so that's really heavy. So, I've gotta like slow down and take a second to even make sure that I'm breaking that down enough in a way that um, people who aren't in the field can understand um, some of the, uh, you know, complexities of like the human mind of like how it uh, how it tries to survive in moments of um, such intense stress. So the most important thing that I stress to people when it comes to explaining um, dissociative identity disorder is that every person's system of identities or system of personality states is what it's usually referred to, that it all looks different for everybody. Like I mentioned before, right, everybody has a unique set of circumstances in their life, unique Um, experiences that have happened to them. So everybody who experiences dissociative identity disorder, it will look different depending on the person, just like anything. And so that's why there's a lot of misconception around this disorder and what it looks like. Often people think of the Jekyll and Hyde or the movie Split. And Although there's some some relation there, but it often draws this misconception that these people are very dangerous or um, there's these huge gaps of like switching between these two personality states and they have no control over it. That's usually how it's represented. And that's a very, very common misconception because like we're talking about, this is all on a spectrum. And so everybody can fall somewhere on that spectrum and it can look different for different people. So one person's system of personality states, for example, one person can have just two personality states, just two, just one and two. And that's it. Some people can have seven. Some people can have a, I think it's called polyfragmented system. I'm not sure if that's the right word. It's like it. It basically just means it's like upwards of over 15 personalities. So it can be different for everybody. There's different amounts of these personality states, as well as memory recall or amnesia is also different for these people as well. So one person might have big gaps of amnesia. They don't remember talking to people. They don't remember doing certain things Um, And their state of switching from their personality alters and states is, is very jarring. For some people, maybe they have more communication within their system. And they actually talk between their personality states. And they actually have fluid communication. That's also possible. And so that's why it's so important that we talk about this more and more. So that people can understand that it doesn't just look one way. Um, often times I think this might be commonly misdiagnosed for other things because if people aren't trauma informed and understand how this is just a way the person's brain has coped over time, um, it can, it can look like it's something else. Um, and so these different personality states that form, they can be of, of a different age, they can be of a different gender. They can dress differently. They can have different mannerisms. They can have different um, vocal sounds and um, different hobbies and different likes and, and things like that. They can talk differently. So uh, these different states, uh, they, the way I see it actually is, so I think of it as these different parts of the person that 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 broke off and they all carried the trauma in their own way so maybe there's oh well maybe i should (laughs) let me explain there's so there's there's names to the types of alters so there's a host is what the person who has dissociative identity disorder the person who's like going going and talking about this getting the diagnosis that main person is usually referred to as the main host um, and then you can have trauma holders um, protectors you can have gatekeepers so these are just terminologies for some of the kind of classes of these altars that where they kind of fall into so a gatekeeper would be an altar that Basically, you know, as the name suggests, gatekeepers like which alters can come forth and host, and which ones can come and which ones have to be ranked back. So the gatekeeper kind of controls which personality states come front and which ones don't front. And protectors often can be trauma holders, or they are a, they're a more of a protector of the host so that they don't experience the, the, tra- the trauma or the pain. So they're very much a protector. Um, we also have the persecutor. So the persecutor can be even just um, almost like a reflection of the abuser themselves and kind of um, persecuting themselves and taking on maybe self-harm, um, things like that. Um, and then littles. Um, That is often, that's a really common form of alters. And so um, littles are um, often a younger age personality state, Um, usually can comprehend like adult things, but will sound more like a child and joy and playful things. Um, Yeah, so littles are a really common form. And so just looking at those sets, right, because I don't want to overwhelm you with all these terminologies, But those are just a couple of examples of the different types of personality states that someone might fragment off or, um, go into, um, when they were experiencing trauma and that's how it may be formulated for them in their dissociative identity disorder. Um, so yeah, so those are just the different kinds and Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I'm starting to lose my train of thought because it's getting late. And so I apologize for for the slowness now that I'm getting uh towards the end. Um but but basically, so where I left off was just talking about the the different kinds of altars there are. And oh right, this is where I was going. There we go, the train's back on on the tracks that The way I see it is that those different types of alters came about because they coped in different ways. So maybe that little is that little space of maybe the age that person was when they endured the trauma. And that little space is a um, that little alter or personality is a state of being that kind of encapsulates that innocence of that childhood that they can't get back, or maybe there is um, a persecutor alter who um, says really mean things or self harms when in distress, and that could be a branch of what that person was listening to when they were enduring emotional emotional abuse, and that's how that you know while they're dissociating through the trauma while they're separating themselves from the traumatic event right so that's that's the big connection here that dissociation you dissociate in the moment of a traumatic event so this that is my dog i apologize (laughs) that is my dog trying to come in and tell me to go hang out with him um but sorry so where was i so that 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 trauma in that moment, for that child who's enduring trauma, their brain, to protect themselves, takes themselves out of that. Takes themselves out of their body. Takes themselves out of the person that they are at that moment because it's really, really scary or confusing or painful. And in that moment, their brain separates to help protect themselves to help keep them alive. When you dissociate, your brain goes into this fight or flight, or I should say when you're going through trauma or when you're going through an intense stress, that is when your brain goes through fight or flight. And so for some people, dissociation is one of those flight mechanisms. It helps you escape. It helps you endure whatever you're going through by just some level of disconnecting from it, just a little bit. And so when those people are disconnecting during the trauma, especially if they're a child, their children are very imaginative. They go into their minds and they can create storylines or they can think of movies and can go into their head and have very imaginative plot lines in their head. And so oftentimes when they're dissociating, their mind is going off somewhere, maybe imagining, A mother who's nurturing. And that becomes a personality state later on. Because while that child is enduring trauma, they they went off and dissociated and fantasized about being in the arms of a mother who was nurturing and soft and saying wonderful things. And then as they grew up, that ended up becoming a full-blown personality state that has a different age, that maybe talks in a softer manner, that takes on different responsibilities or feelings. So that's like one example of like how a personality state can come to be. Um, I've heard some, you know, more more sad stories and intense things about how, you know, for example, why maybe an animal alter will come about. Um, some reasons for why an animal alter may come about will one, that maybe an animal was something of comfort to the person um, during that time. And so they saw that animal as a safety, as a friend. Um, but also sometimes an abuser made the person feel like they were an animal. And so that's something that they internalized. And when they were enduring that trauma and dissociating, a part of them connected with that. And then that turned into a full full blown personality state of feeling like an animal, and then that switching. So once again, that's why it it looks different for everybody, and you really can't compare one person with dissociative identity disorder to the other because what you're comparing is two people's survival mechanisms, which. Of course, are going to be completely unique because they didn't experience the same trauma, and that's really important because I've 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 been hearing a lot of people who start to discredit their own or they feel um, they feel bad about how their system's being run because um, other people's looks different or or things like that, but. But really, you can't judge one to the other, because what you're judging is how somebody coped, how their brain coped, how their brain unconsciously helped them survive. And a big common misconception about dissociative identity disorder as well is that the main goal for them would be to integrate all these fragmented senses of self or these fragmented different personality states and alters for somebody who maybe doesn't have a lot of knowledge in this area, that that would be a misconception that if someone wants to go to therapy to treat dissociative identity disorder, that the whole goal would be to integrate them into a whole being, which could be a goal if that was what the person wanted. Um, But what people also don't see is that when a person with dissociative identity disorder can have a good support system feel safe to process their trauma, start to bring understanding and awareness to their system of identities and alters and how it works for them, where it came from starting to just bring awareness to how their brain works. Um, It can actually be a really, really big tool for processing emotion and coping with trauma. That's actually really, really beneficial. So like, for example, if you think about it this way, like, even though that person may, in society's eyes, have some disorder that looks like something's wrong with them, right? Like they're, they're fragmented or broken, which is not the case. But that's a lot of how society might, might look at it, and um, think that person needs to be fixed, or those fragmented pieces need to be put together. Um, But what, what people don't see is that if that person felt safe and they, they learned their awareness, they might actually better know themselves and better understand their trauma and their trauma responses better than somebody who doesn't have dissociative identity disorder. Think about the person who goes out and has beers on a Tuesday at 2 p.m. or um, people who, um, I don't know, my brain's, my brain's I'm not thinking of other ideas, and I don't want to call everybody out for, for the, the different ways we may cope with stress in our lives, right? Maybe not dealing with it as well, maybe doing something to distract ourselves from it. And that's normal, though, right? People do that. Sometimes we need a distraction, we need a stress relief, we need to just not think about it. But sometimes that can be unhealthy too. If you're not thinking about it, maybe you're handling it in the wrong way. You're not bringing awareness to how maybe you're responding from a place of trauma. So in reality, that's really more unhealthy um, and more damaging if you're not bringing awareness to that. Um, Even though you might have a typical normal psyche that doesn't break off into personality states, right? But that's still not a super healthy way of coping with your stress and trauma if you're binge drinking, right? Versus somebody, even though they might have dissociative identity disorder, they might have so much awareness and insight into, oh, I know what triggers me. Oh, I know that loud noises. Or when somebody starts to yell, that's when I start to get triggered. And I know that I revert into a child space. And so I know that coloring and putting on my noise cancellation headphones will help soothe me. That is a very healthy way of coping with trauma. So, so I just wanted to kind of point that out as well, that there's that misconception that these people need to be fixed or that there's something broken. But in reality, um, if they learn how to understand it and really u- utilize it to their advantage, they have a beautiful insight and understanding into a complex into their complex psyche and how it helped them survive their whole life and and sometimes you know it takes a village (laughs) and sometimes that support system even if it's your own personality states and how they came to be um if that's it but sometimes that's comforting to some of those folks who've gone through some intense trauma or haven't, haven't had people there for them. So that's just some of the misconceptions I wanted to tackle today, um, about dissociative identity disorder. Um, yeah, so I think, um, I think we might stop here for today so that I don't uh, lose my train of thought any longer. And um, I, hope, I hope that was a good rundown of dissociation and breaking it down into a way that helps you understand that it's really a survival mechanism and um, learning that it's a lot more common than we think and that dissociation falls on a spectrum. So thanks for listening. Alrighty, that is the end of today's episode of Lightcast with Stephanie Gast. Thanks for listening and uh, stay tuned for mm-hmm. monthly episodes. And if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, my handle is Stephanie G Therapy. Take care.